Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks podcast. This is Rose Caraway. If you are new to the show, welcome. I'm super glad to have you. Um, let's see. I'm just gonna drop right into it and let you guys know I've got a ton of news to deliver. So sit back or you know pay attention to the road,、uh, but listen carefully because there are some changes happening. First off. The goal of my show is to bring audio erotica to the masses the best way that I can. I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, but if you have, you might have seen that the Kiss Me Quicks podcast is regularly lingering closer and closer to that number one spot podcast thingy in iTunes. Yay!、I'm、so excited. Um, lingering at number three is fantastic. I love it so, and it's all due to you guys and all of your excellent reviews. So thank you.、Um, I've noticed that there has been a little bit of confusion still, though, with some folks with regards to the sexy librarian versus the kiss me quicks. And as time kind of goes on, I'm realizing maybe I need to just combine the two. And put all of the sexy librarian episodes with the Kiss Me Quicks episodes, so that there is no confusion. So I think what I'm going to do is do just that.、Um, I think once a week I'm going to go ahead and bring in a sexy librarian episode and pop it into the Kiss Me Quicks, and then slowly just kind of phase out the sexy librarian podcast itself, but still do what the sexy librarian podcast was doing, and that is. Getting in contact with all of my favorite erotica authors and give you guys little snippets of their work. It's sort of my part to show you guys that erotica isn't just sexy, fun stuff. It's actually a legitimate art form, just as any other genre, and it's capable of expressing, you know, the human condition as well as any other genre.、Um, and it's really great that more and more of you guys are kind of waking up to that. So、um, I I'm gonna keep doing that.、Um, I'm just not gonna separate the two podcasts. I'm gonna keep them together as one. So the sexy librarian will kind of be phased out, and everything will be incorporated into one podcast, the Kiss Me Quicks podcast. All right, I've got some more awesome news. It's a dream come true, actually. Cleus Press and Stupid Fish Productions have been working together, and we have produced an audio book. It, that is amazing. It's something I'm very happy, flattered, and proud to be a part of. It's called "Gotta Have It: Sixty Nine Stories of Sudden Sex." It was edited by Rachel Kramer Bussell, and let me tell you guys, sixty nine stories is an amazing treat.、Um, and every single story that I read was fantastic. It was fun. There's a little bit of everything in there. I'm totally excited, and I cannot wait to see the "Gotta Have It" audio version available. I know you're going to love it. Okay, on with the show. This episode is part two of Outland thirteen thirteen,、um, but as promised, I'm going to give you guys a little treat before that. I'm going to start the show with an excerpt from an audio book I did called "Werewolf Menage: Pack Justice." It's written by Michelle Fox. It's a sexy little BDSM werewolf story,、uh, featuring a naughty werewolf who's been two-timing alphas from different packs. And when her lovers find out the truth, they arrange a little pack justice, giving her the punishment of her dreams. So I hope you enjoy. 
Werewolf Menage, Pack Justice. Written by Michelle Fox. Are you saying you love us both? Kane furrowed his eyebrows, confused. Yes. How can that be true? I shrugged. I don't know, but it's been hell to live with. Tears pricked my eyes. I'd been expecting this confrontation for months, unable to commit to just one wolf, unable to find a way out that didn't get ugly. Did you think you could keep it a secret forever? Jack crossed his arms, the muscles of his forearms rippling. Just long enough to figure things out, I said. Head bowed. You've been dating us for at least six months, Sabrina. Kane sighed, exasperated. How much time did you need? What if there are wolves who aren't meant for one mate? I asked softly. That's not possible. Jack dismissed my question with a wave of his hand. It's against pack law, Kane added. I did some reading, trying to make sense of things. Sometimes real wolves aren't faithful either. My voice was a soft murmur, fear stealing volume. My alpha shook his head. And that means you don't have to be? No, I just wanted... I trailed off. An excuse? Jack frowned at me. To understand why I was different. I closed my eyes and swallowed hard. Every other wolf happily bonded to their mate and never looked back. But I couldn't do that. Had never been able to do that. Not until Kane and Jack. What if... I need you both... What if you're both my mates? You want us to share? I nodded, and Jack shot a glance at Kane, who raised his eyebrows in response. How many other wolves have you lied to, Sabrina? Kane asked. It's always just been you two, no one else. I looked at him, unblinking as he sniffed, smelling the truth of my words. Kane rubbed his chin, a thoughtful expression on his face. Jack watched him, waiting to see what he would say. Above us, bats whipped the air with their wings, their sonic screeches grating on our ears, making us all wince. What do you think, Jack? I'm always up for a good time, but she still has to be punished. Jack gave me an impish grin, and from amusement dancing in his eyes, I knew he wasn't mad anymore. But then he was no stranger to odd bedfellows, being heavily into the kink lifestyle. Kane's more traditional worldview was a concern, though. I liked his stability, how I knew what to expect, but sometimes he resisted new things, preferring the old ways. I think the punishment would be part of the fun. Kane also smiled at me, his gaze smoldering, not with anger, but desire. I blinked at him, stunned, but, of course, I knew how seductive Jack could be with his promises of hot pleasure by way of pain. If they'd compared notes on my mole, other details had surely been shared too, and Kane would have to be dead not to realize how scorching sex with Jack could be. A pound of flesh would go a long way to making things right with me. Jack cocked one eyebrow at me in a come-hither look. It's just a question of who wants to go first. I'll leave the how and what to your expertise, Jack. Just tell me what you want to do. Relief washed through me. If they were negotiating logistics, the worst was over, and maybe I would come out of this all right. Maybe they were really saying what I thought they were, what I most wanted to hear, 
that the three of us were a possibility. Mind you, Sabrina, if I couldn't smell the distress on you or the truth of your words, I would be banishing you from the pack. But I hear you. You are lost and scared. Maybe Jack and I can help you find out what or who you really need. Kane laid a gentle hand on my shoulder and gave me a reassuring squeeze. I sniffed, but not fast enough to keep a few tears from dripping down my cheek. Kane was such a good stand-up guy. I really didn't deserve him, given I'd had so little faith in him that I couldn't even be honest. Guilt twisted inside me at that realization, and more tears welled up in my eyes. Jack wiped them away with his thumb. There was tenderness in his eyes, but no mercy, and I didn't blame him. You need to undress now. His tone was matter-of-fact. I complied and removed my clothes, tossing them onto the soft earth. The wind blew a cool caress that made my nipples jut out, and I shivered. Jack went to unzip the duffel bag, pulling out some things I recognized. Floggers, handcuffs, rope, along with other items I had never seen before. Kane guided me between two saplings and fastened a rope around each wrist. You will be punished for your lies and failure to seek the counsel of your pack leader. Kane removed a flogger from the bag and slapped it gently against his thigh. If you had come to me first, we would have avoided all this. In the future, if you continue to keep secrets like this, you will be banished. Understood? Yes, sir, I said. My throat was so tight with emotion, my voice was a strangled whine. Jack came over and growled at me. On your knees, wolf. To Kane, he said. If you want to stand in front of her, she'll suck, and I'll flog. Kane handed the flogger over to Jack with a nod. Then he shed his clothes, muscles flowing like water under his skin as he did so. Naked, he moved to stand in front of me. I licked my lips, anticipating the taste of his salt, wanting to bury my nose in the scent of his musk. Where Jack's cock was thick, Kane's was long, with a bit of an angle that made my pussy spasm just at the sight of him. I lowered my mouth down his shaft, smiling as it bobbed with enthusiasm against my tongue. I'll set the pace with the flogger. You suck, no matter what. Do you understand, Sabrina? Jack came to stand behind me, trailing the flogger down my spine and over my ass. I nodded my agreement and braced myself, not knowing what to expect. The floggings I'd had with Jack had always been sensual, never punitive. he told me once that there were many kinds of floggers, some soft, others hard enough to cause damage if not wielded properly. Which had he brought tonight? What would he use for my punishment? The first hit came, and I relaxed. The sensation was not one of pain. Rather, it was more like when someone pats you on the shoulder. There was pressure, just not to the point of hurting. A soft flogger then, I thought with relief, just like all the other times. As if reading my mind, Jack said, The flogger is a warm-up. It will bring all the blood to your skin, and then you'll really get a spanking. My mouth was too full of cock for me to do anything other than murmur my understanding. I took Cain as deep as I could, desperate to please my alpha, to absolve my sins in his pleasure. As he had promised, Jack set the rhythm with the flogger, using it to push my body forward and causing me to take Cain deeper. Over time, 
He used more force, and the flogging began to sting, edging into pain. Nervous about how far he would take it, I sucked my alpha's cock for all I was worth, pleased to see his hips squirming as my ministrations did not go unnoticed. Cain came with a guttural sigh, hips pumping up into my mouth as Jack drove me down with the flogger. I did my best not to gag and swallowed as fast as I could. The flogger rained down faster, making heat throb over my ass and up my back. He stopped when Cain pulled out, his shaft glistening with my saliva. I took a deep breath, relaxing into the reprieve. I hoped I wouldn't be too sore and that my punishment was almost at an end. Okay, whew, that was pretty good if I say so myself. And it's just the beginning of some more sexy stuff. All right, you guys can get a hold of the rest of Werewolf Menage, Pack Justice in Audible or in iTunes or at Amazon. Just search Michelle Fox or Rose Carraway. Last time I left you, Betty and Travis were stranded on the harsh planet Outland 1313 and had both narrowly escaped the ravenous bloodhounds, only to discover that they're now faced with another problem, Travis's libido, which was normally kept in check by Alliance-prescribed inhibitors, and it is now totally out of control. So sit back, relax, keep your eyes on the road, and let's see where they go from there. And now, I present Outland 1313, Part 2. Betty felt raw between her legs, but the cool water of the pond soothed her tender insides. We have to get going. Can you, now? She looked at Travis, sitting on a storage bin, sweating. She'd lost count after his first five orgasms, but figured he must have gotten there at least double that. Yeah, now's good, but soon... His voice, though tired, still conveyed his need. He tried to distract himself. What do you have in the way of supplies? I don't have anything, she said simply, then headed out of the water back to her towel, still rumpled on the floor. Nothing? Travis said incredulously. I thought you've been here a long time. Don't you think you should have been stealing weapons, explosives, or transmitters? Anything useful instead of filling up on food? Are you nuts, Miner? She didn't appreciate his tone. This planet has no natural inhabitants except trees, rocks, lava, and rain. And now those things call this place home. They might walk on two legs and talk to one another, but Miner, I've seen them devour my crew and hundreds of other crews, including yours. 
If I so much as slip out there on that unforgiving rock, those animals will find me. They don't negotiate, or has it slipped your mind how big they are? I didn't see you having such an easy time either. Look at me. Her slender arms extended. Her beautiful body was presented in a gloriously naked and petite package. One wrong move, and I would be hooked up to regenerative tubes while being eaten and... Betty's throat closed. Anxiety wedged itself between frustration at being screwed without gratification, the soreness that came along with it, and the hope that she might actually have a chance at getting off the planet soon. Tears began to stream down her cheeks. Her hands shook, and the towel wasn't cooperating. So no, I haven't got any supplies, but... She wiped her nose with the back of her hand, then brushed her useless tears away. I know where to get some. It's like I told you before, Miner. I helped you because I need you to help me. She stalked toward another storage bin, withdrew a cloth of dried meat, and tossed it to Travis. Then she found a spare jumper and put it on. Travis's voice was soft. I'm sorry, Betty. I didn't think. She heard his breath and looked up from her lap. He still hadn't zipped up, and she noticed his cock lengthening again, but looked away before he could catch her stare. I can't think properly. Thank you, first of all, for helping me. I can't imagine what it's been like for you, but you're right, I do owe you. I promise I will do everything I can to get you off this damned rock. He was kneeling before her now, gently petting her knees, and then he held her hands. I am sorry. I know. She noticed his ailment starting up again and breathed a sigh. Let's get you calmed down. Then we can talk about my plan. I don't understand. Why do we need to go there? The ship is on the other side of the base. Their larder is at the opposite end. Travis was already becoming impatient as they trekked back towards the hound's compound. There hadn't been any signs of hounds tracking them and no ships searching from above, so they hurried while there was still light. The sky grumbled above as clouds began to sink lower towards the ground. There was more rain on its way. Travis was feeling the urgency again, and it was reaching a point that he'd have to stop walking soon. There's something I have to check on before I leave, Betty said. What? I don't understand. Why risk going that far out of our way? I know you're a good runner, but this is asking for more trouble than you should, don't you think? Travis needed to get to a ship. The inhibitors were still on board, and he needed to take one. Maybe two. Shit, maybe three. Betty stopped walking and turned to face Travis. When I first got here, my co-pilot was taken with me. My science officers were men, and they were just eaten. But the hounds had other plans for me and Minda. She accidentally freed me, and I left her. Admitting it out loud had no effect on her guilt. I have survived for this long, and if there's even the slightest chance that she's still alive, I have to take her with us. He saw the grief in Betty's eyes, and something else. 
I have to know for sure that I'm not leaving her here with those bastards. Her last words were barely audible. Okay, okay, I understand, but let's be smart about this. He doubted there was a scrap of Minda left. We stick to the plan. We hit the supply bunker before the larder. Then we take the ship. Deal? Travis was fidgety, but held out his hand to shake on it. Deal. Betty cleared her throat, then sighed. I suppose you're due for another? She asked, tying her hair back into a long braid. Now that you mention it... He hated that she saw him this way, yet her bringing it up made him feel better somehow. I don't think I can go much further, but you know what? As much as I'd love you to do this with me, I think maybe I should just head over behind that tree over there and, you know. If you want to, but don't forget you still owe me for before. It was a hollow attempt at a joke. I'm pretty sure I owe you for a few, Betty. He smiled sheepishly, then headed towards the tree. There's the storage bunkers, Betty whispered. They'd climbed down the perimeter wall unnoticed and hid behind a tall pile of unused volcanic rock. The exercise was therapeutic, but the moment Betty's whispers brushed his ear, Travis's cock protruded hard and swollen. The clouds rumbled, and then the air shook as thunder and lightning cut the sky. The hounds hate the rain because it brings the chemicals. Hopefully they'll stay inside while we're snooping. The movement of her lips while she spoke captivated him. He tried to shake his lust away. Let's do this then, slow now, eyes open, feet ready. They sneaked past a large empty pen. I know that smell. It smells like... But Travis couldn't put his finger on it. Betty's feminine scent as she was practically leaning into him filled Travis's nostrils and he forgot what he was talking about. This is where the hounds keep the livestock they steal from the passing ag ships. That's the food I've been stealing. After a quick survey, they snuck to the side of a supply bunker. Travis soundlessly slid along the wall of the building, opened the door a crack, and took a peek inside. He waved Betty in after determining that it was all clear. The supply bunker proved to be a fruitful risk. Travis now carried a box of explosives and four detonation devices. They snuck further into the compound, every second ticked loudly in their ears. But Travis had other things invading his mind. The petite ass in front of him, gently moving from side to side, as Betty put one foot in front of the other, had Travis ready to pounce. When she bent over, just slightly to hide, her ass pressed tightly against the jumper's shiny silver fabric in such a succulent way, Travis felt his balls turn purple, and he almost dropped the explosives. They successfully negotiated their way secretly to the larder, where Betty had seen many women brought in. She swallowed, then cracked the heavy metal door open a narrow inch. The sounds of gurgling and bubbling liquids filled their ears. From one end of the compartment to the other, tubes of various sizes and lengths extended likewise. Vats were filled with bright green rejuvenation mixtures that the tubes were fed from. It was a reanimation larder. Ahead of him, Betty stood, frozen. Travis cracked a light stick and held it up. 
His jaw dropped. Old memories flashed as Betty remembered once being shackled here. Travis was breathing heavily already, but recognized the change in Betty. He couldn't see very far, so he stepped closer. Betty had covered her mouth with a trembling hand. Tears streamed freely, her whimpers soft and meek from behind her hand. It was Minda. The hounds had been regrowing her tissue and feeding from her for a hundred and three days. There were jagged, oval shapes of flesh missing from her body, and a terrible, gagging smell was coming from the open, rotting wounds. They were old, rancid, and gaping. Travis temporarily forgot about his cock and balls and stepped closer with the light. Tubes were inserted into Minda's scalp. From the entry points, pus and rot oozed. He looked at the woman's face and held his breath. Minda's eyes suddenly popped open and shined like ghostly cataracts. Her thin lips parted, but the words she emitted were unintelligible and dry. The rank odor as she spoke tipped Travis back on his heels. Betty slammed both hands over her mouth. Gelatinous fluids sluiced through the tubes at her joints and head, sluggish and thick. Minda garbled something again, but neither of them could decipher what she said. Her arms and legs were black, her torso a sickly gray. At that moment, the bloodhounds became more than bloodthirsty beasts. They were an intelligent species, capable of an advanced technology still relatively new to man, with a twisted, barbaric flavor. Travis stared in horror. A hundred and three days ago, her body was alive with vigor, but now she was a corpse that breathed. Travis wrapped his free arm around Betty and pulled her back. She's dead, Betty. He tried to sound kind, but Betty shook her head no. As long as words come from her mouth, she's not dead, she sniffled. They kept her alive all this time. I saw them rape her while they ate from her. She choked and turned away. Travis raised his light one more time and stepped forward. He didn't figure the woman was in any pain, but he winced. How could he know for sure? Before Betty turned back around, he grabbed a handful of tubes fastened to Minda's scalp, and in one swift, all-too-easy tug, he gave her body peace. Her eyes fluttered heavily, briefly, and then her face relaxed. Her head leaned forward with its heavy weight. Minda was finally gone. Can you use those? Betty's eyes were red with sorrow, but she kept them focused on Travis. We use the stuff in the academy. It's outdated, but effective. If I have enough time, I can rig this place to kingdom come. His voice strained. Betty knew why. Good. These sons of bitches need to be dealt with. For Minda, she growled. Travis raked his hair back determined to stay focused on the important shit at hand, but his cock was knocking. He looked around. I'm going to go ahead and, uh... Betty stared at him. 
His voice trailed off as he hitched his thumb. It was hardly the time or place for jerking his cock, but it really wasn't his fault. I'll come with you. Travis didn't realize he'd been holding his breath. Travis unzipped and began stroking quickly. Although she didn't participate, she watched. It was a distraction from the emotional roller coaster tail spinning in her brain. He didn't expect her to join in, but imagined that she was. They were just behind one of the big vets, next to the door, so Betty could listen for any incoming hounds while Travis took care of his urgent business. The rain had finally begun to fall. It was good that his urgency wasn't quite as debilitating, good that while he stroked it seemed to take a bit longer, but bad that it was taking as long as it was. Betty hemmed and hawed for as long as she could. Let me do it. It wasn't a bark per se, but there was definitely a tone of impatience that Travis didn't appreciate, but understood. If he'd had his way, she'd have already been helping him, but what could he say? They were complete strangers less than three hours ago, and now they were temporarily forced to be lovers, to survive. Betty put the explosives down, carefully, then took Travis's cock into her mouth. She'd had lovers in the past and knew the dance well. The delicate region between her legs was incredibly sore, even while they walked. But she'd noticed that while watching Travis, her natural lubricant soothed almost as much as the pond in her cave. And 103 days was a very long time to be alone. She stood on her tiptoes, grabbed a handful of hair at the back of his head, and pulled Travis's lips to hers. Her hand was small but efficient. His response was immediate. The tip of his cock nudged into her abdomen until Travis couldn't stand it. He quickly unzipped her jumper, then hoisted Betty onto his hips. Her breasts, soft and round, grazed his chin. His hands cupped her small, smooth ass, and his cock found her opening. With her arms looped around Travis's neck, Betty let him inside. She began to do more than just moisten, and felt the buildup of her own first orgasm. Travis's deep voice and hot breath against her neck, though, told her that he was closer than she, and in the next thrust, he came. Disappointment creased her brow, and she released his neck, aggravated that once again she was unable to reach her peak. They were hunkered down between the loading dock and a crate that had been removed from the mining ship, getting drenched. Travis planted an explosive cartridge and entered its detonation code into the small receiver. You're going inside first. He pointed to the still open boarding ramp. Betty nodded. Take this. He handed her the heavy blaster one of the hounds had left on top of the crates. If I don't get to you in four minutes, close up and get the hell out. He was feeling the pains of his ailment again. Betty could see it in his shoulders. She didn't want to leave him, but would if she had to. She'd done it before. The haunting reality made her cringe inside. Travis embraced her quickly, 
kissed her cheek, and pressed his groin into her stomach. Don't forget, I owe you one, he breathed. You owe me more than one, Miner, she said matter-of-factly. Travis lifted her chin. Fair enough. He ducked and ran, unseen to place the remaining explosives. Betty counted the seconds one by one. At 60 seconds, Travis's voice rang out from across the camp. Chaos was in full swing. Bloodhounds issued forth from every bunker with resounding growls and gnashing jaws. Betty was already up the ramp and staring out from the cockpit windshield. The first explosion pierced her eardrums. Rain beat against the ship, and she couldn't see Travis anywhere. The blaster was heavy, but she held it at ready. Thirty seconds left, and Travis still wasn't there. She examined the control panel, reading its gauges, familiarizing herself, preparing her mind to abandon the man. When a trio of explosions sounded, and then something drooled, warm and wet, on Betty's shoulder. She kicked and screamed and fired, disregarding possible damage to the ship. Her fists bruised as she slammed them into the rock-hard chest muscles of the very same young bloodhound that chased her and Travis. Its temple wound was infected from the stone she'd thrown. It towered over her, its breath rank. It slammed her small body down onto the metal grate floor between the pilot and navigator seats. Her head hit the side of the control panel on the way down and brought stars in front of her eyes. She screamed and clawed. The blaster was torn from her fingers, and then so was the silver jumper from her body. The young hound smiled down at her with its lips pulled back, exposing too many sharp teeth. Betty pictured Minda being raped and eaten, and then screamed at the hound with hatred and an odd final feeble daring. The large creature pinned her legs down with its heavy knees and unlaced its pants with haste. When it pulled out its penis, Betty nearly fainted. She would be gored to death. The hound's clawed fingers hurt her breasts, leaving dark purple bruises. Saliva dribbled from its hungry mouth. Its tongue licked its lips. Betty tried to struggle, but her legs wouldn't budge and her breasts felt like they were being pinched off. She continued to slam her forearms against the hound, but it had no effect. The hound's penis dripped a bright purple fluid from the hole in its tip. It stroked and growled with sexual arousal, licking its lips as it pushed her legs apart. Suddenly, the beast sounded like it was choking. Through her tears, Betty saw a thick wire around its neck, and then she felt a slight shift in the hound's weight. The beast howled raspy frustration, and with both hands, tried to pull the wire from its neck, but its fingers were too thick. It attempted to stand, but something struck it hard in the lower back, and then the hound was pulled backwards just enough 
that Betty could shimmy out from under it. It was Travis, with all his wonderful might, strangling the monster from behind. Sweat covered his face. She scrambled to her feet, dizzy from the head wound, and grabbed the blaster. Steadying herself against the side of the pilot's seat, Betty stomped the hound's penis with her worn boot. Travis cinched the wire tighter, then strained. Shoot! Betty raised the weapon and took aim at the barbaric beast and slowed her breathing. Travis's face was red. Spittle came from his mouth. She didn't want to accidentally shoot him, so she lowered the weapon several inches, then squeezed the trigger. Travis released the wire, and they both covered their ears against the hound's screams. Travis was first into action. He'd already closed and locked the loading ramp and was now dragging the hound's body out of the way. Betty's head felt fuzzy, but the pounding sounds became clearer as she realized that hounds were slamming their fists against the mining ship. Stupid fuckers. Strap in, Betty. His voice was surprisingly calm. Travis took her hand into his and then placed her palm over a wide red button. Travis hit all thrusters. Thunderously loud balls of fire erupted within the hound's compound, and the ship passed through the atmosphere in less than two minutes. Autopilot was engaged, and Travis was suffering from another erection. His inhibitors had been confiscated, along with all his medical supplies, by the bloodhounds. He'd cleaned Betty's head wound as best he could, and she had been gone from the cockpit for an hour now. Travis was unconsciously rubbing his dick through his uniform, thinking about Betty standing beneath his shower head, washing her body. His temples ached, behind his eyes ached, his cock ached. The seat squeaked as he stood up. The flight plan was programmed in, and Outland 1313 was now far behind them. Travis headed toward the lavatory. Steam wafted through the ship's corridors, showing him the way. He called out, and when Betty answered from the bunk room, his steps quickened. Everything okay? he asked. It is now, she replied. Betty was sitting on his bed of all places, holding a towel in place. Her breasts were pressed and rounded from the tightness of the towel. With a finger, she beckoned him to the bed. I'll be right back. Betty sat, confused, until her ears suddenly plugged and then popped. Then her body slowly lifted from the bed. Travis pulled through the hallway, floating towards her. They gently collided and giggled at the childish delight of floating in space. They drifted and kissed. Travis unraveled the towel from Betty's body and pushed it away. He held a guarding hand against bumping into things as Betty disrobed him. His clothes drifted away like the towel, but the articles of clothing became a nuisance, so he steered them towards the cockpit. 
Through the corridors, they played kissing tag until finally reaching the cockpit. Betty let Travis guide her to the pilot's seat, where he promptly buckled her in. Betty's breasts, deliciously divided by the harness belt, were severely bruised, so he only lightly brushed his lips over her skin. Her legs lifted and parted, and Travis's eyes were drawn to the short, blonde curls centered between them. He lowered his head and smiled. He owed her. His tongue pushed between the small lips, tasting Betty's light saltiness. The scent of soap and warm feminine skin teased his senses. When he looked up, he saw her long, golden blonde wet hair floating around her like a beautiful mane. His hands stayed clear of her bruised breasts, but it took significant effort. His tongue concentrated on Betty's little clit. He teased it from its sheath until he felt the tiny nub rise. He flicked his tongue faster. Betty clutched Travis's short brown hair tight in her fists as she let her legs float. Her abdomen tightened and she rocked her hips, thrusting her clit against his tongue. She pulled Travis's hair tighter when the sex heat glowed across her skin with a pink flush. Betty licked her lips, tightened her fingers, pressed Travis's nose to her pelvic bone as her muscles trembled when the orgasm sensation traveled through her body. When the tremor slowed, Travis used the armrests to pull himself into position. His cock separated Betty's pussy lips and then dipped inside. He could feel her walls squeezing his tip. He watched her face, her reaction, then went deeper. When her mouth opened, he took it with his. His strong hands and thickly muscled arms used the armrests for leverage as he pressed into Betty's body, thrusting his rod the rest of the way inside. Betty struggled for breath one moment, then begged Travis to take her breath away the next. She squirmed when his cock withdrew and then kissed him with savage hunger when he plunged back in. Gravity was back on and the sounds of the humming engines in Travis's hard body were cathartic. It had been so long since she'd felt this kind of peace. There was no more panic, no constant worry or regret. Travis still straddled her body while Betty was still buckled in the pilot seat. They'd both fallen asleep, but now his weight was becoming too heavy. And now the chill air was uncomfortable too. Betty tried to shift her body. Her eyes opened. She lifted his chin with her hand and his body slipped. His weight dragged him to the floor where he fell in a dead heap. Betty was confused when she saw that his back was shredded. A deep, throaty growl chilled her bones instantly. Betty's throat felt dry. Her body trembled. Her eyes widened in silent terror. When the chair began to spin, she craned her neck. The young hound, with its infected temple, the gunshot wounds in its belly and chest, was still alive. It leaned down, and with a menacing, toothy snarl, it took a long, slow sniff, then licked its lips. 
For Stupid Fish Productions, this is Rose Carraway. I'd like to thank the following musical artists Jazar, Culprit, Nomina, Docs, Chris Zabriskie, Raw Styles, and the feature credit song Clink by Death Grips, whom I've just discovered, and oh my fucking god, he is marvelous and incredibly unique. It's not rap or hip hop, it's a goddamn assault with a deadly weapon. Well worth checking out. I will have a link to Death Grips as well as all the other musical artists on my website. Once again, thanks to Jan Morgenstern. His work was the musical heartbeat of this show. Special thanks to Michelle Fox for bringing us Werewolf Menage, Pack Justice. She and her sexy stories can be found at all major ebook retailers. You guys can also find her on my website. I've got a link there under the audiobooks tab. If you liked what you heard and want more, I have a few assignments for you. Number one, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice little comment for me in iTunes. This show has been hanging out on the top in iTunes, and that is directly because of you guys, so please keep it up. Number two, get in touch. My email is thekissmequicks at gmail.com. Um, if I do not get to you that day, please be patient. I, the KMQ has managed to attract a sweet little community of lurid listeners on Facebook and Twitter. And I am taking sometimes two days, maybe three, to get back on my emails. But a special little deserved shout out to all my Facebook and Twitter friends. Loving the conversations, you guys. Just do a little search for Rose Carraway, and I should pop right up. If not, I will have all the contact information in the show notes for this podcast, so go check that out. Number three, please search Rose Carraway in Audible, Amazon, or iTunes. Your purchases go directly to supporting this show. And a special thanks to everyone that's listening and supporting the Kiss Me Quicks podcast. I love all of you. See you soon. They know I'm size me up Think the bastards coming after me all the time on my head up Well they always wanna have some it takes all up on my nuts And it has to be like I can't see him trying to play take three in the clutch I'm probably I'm a dignity Don't end out ever say much I ain't a tough ass I don't wish I could flash up now I'll be like fuck Shot this fool who's been there for my real ones who understand What it feels like to have
Thunderlips in the flesh. Hulk Hogan in the Rocky movie was in the flesh. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry. <laughs> that was funny. You don't remember that? I, I wanted to be in the ring with him. Screw holding the number card. I want to be in there and... Oh, full Nelson, half Nelson. I don't care. Who's doing the Nelsoning? Oh, well, he would have to be. And then I could do a reach around real quick. <laughs> it was a handful. You remember his underwear he wore? Stupid fish.